If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Pixel Sift is proudly supported by the Murdoch University School of Art. So have you ever thought to yourself, I'd really love to learn how to make something creative like a game or YouTube channel or report on the news? Or you should go have a look at what Murdoch University has on offer. They'll give you skills to hit the awesome creative goals that you're aiming for. If you want to learn more, you can go to murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts to find out what they've got on offer. That's murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts, or you can just search Murdoch University for more information. Murdoch University School of Arts proudly supporting Pixel Sift. Pixel Sift. And welcome to Pixel Sift, the show dedicated to indie games from around Australia and across the world. My name is Fiona and joining me today is my co-host Gianni. How are you going this morning? I am going fantastic. How are you, Fiona? I'm doing very well, thanks. So our guests this morning are Alexander Perrin and Josh Tatan. Oh, we were just talking about before, but as soon as we start, I can never do it. Tatangelo, the co-founders of Two Point Interactive. Welcome and thanks for joining us this morning as well. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah. Uh, so later, later in the show, we'll be hearing more about their latest game uh, called Heavenly Bodies. But first off, Gianni, what, are we else, what else are we looking at? Well, you might have seen um, that la- late last week, the National Film and Sound Archive, which looks after collecting all of Australian media, have announced that they're going to include video games into their collection. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. All right. So let's get into it. Visit us on pixelsift.com.au. Now, you might or you might not know that the National Film and Sound Archive of Australia is considered a living archive of over 3 million items of Australian work. So it includes movies, it includes music, it includes anything that has been recorded. Um, and last week, they announced that they're going to be including a number of Australian video games through the history of Australian game development into their archive for the first time. So the first games that were kind of in, uh, have been listed for inclusion, there's eight of them in total. Um, the first is Hobbit, The Hobbit from 1982 by Beam Software, Halloween Harry, uh, which is by Interactive Binary Illusions and Sub-Zero Software from 1985 and 1993, Shadow Run, which is from Beam Software as well, 1993, L.A. Noir from Team Bondi, 2011, Submerged, which is from... Uh, former guest of the show, Uppercut Games from 2015, Hollow Knight as well, Team Cherry from 2017, Florence by Mountains in 2018, and a new game which is coming out called Aspire One VR Operative by Digital Load. Um, now, 
I want to. I'm curious to hear what uh, Josh and, and Alex have to think about this. What do you reckon about the idea of having games archived uh, for everyone to be able to access down down the future? I think it. Yeah, I think it's a really good thing. Like it's surprising that it's taken this long to kind of happen, but now that it is, I think it's a really really good move. Um, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Like like it, yeah. It's probably you know should have been something that was done you know decades ago already. Um, it's it's a. I, I, I think at the same time, like it's 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 a really really tricky sort of process to actually you know f- find the, the the material which which you know accurately and respectfully like communicates the the, the great you know body of work that that Australia does does produce. Um, so I guess like it's 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 tricky. Um, and I guess like we'll go into that, but um, I think that there's so much to cover and and yeah so much beautiful material that needs to be documented. It's sort of hard to like put it down to any sort of, you know, small catalog of games or, mm. or any media for that fact. That's something well, it's not, that, I guess it's um, not as easy as. Sorry, I interrupted you there. You go, Fiona. I was going to say that's something that um, one of the curators of the National Film and Sound Archive said, Thorsten Kading, he said that it was difficult trying to figure out how exactly they will go around with preserving games because of, also, you get like constantly updated versions and things like that. So they're still trying to wrap their heads around how they're going to do it. But the archive not only includes the game, it does also include the publicity materials, the walkthroughs, merchandise, artwork, basically anything related to it as well, which I think is amazing that they're including all of that too. Right. Well, yeah, it's quite interesting because as you said there, it's you know if you've got a movie or an audio file, that's quite easy to archive. You know, that's just one thing. But a game needs to run, um, and it needs to run on particular platforms. And some of the games that have been archived in this particular batch are like from the Super Nintendo era and before that. And there's, it's not easy just to play those games straight away. So there must be a, a complexity to that, um, which makes it more challenging than um, archiving something else. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah, I think it's what's also interesting, I think, is like it's a difficult process to archive. Like I know speaking for ourselves that a lot of decisions kind of happen like on the fly or as you go sort of like in the editor not everything is necessarily documented and archived so i think it's a it's a pretty intense process to kind of go backwards and accumulate all these materials to sort of do justice to the whole design process that's involved would your games be in an archivable state if you looked at them now <laughs> I, uh, probably, probably not. I'm probably, yeah, half yeah. of them are just like half half baked Unity projects, which you know yeah. are only open in a certain version of Unity, and then you know, oh gosh, a couple of pages out of a notebook maybe, and that's about it. But I guess that to me, that's still interesting. Seeing not for my stuff to see other people's kind of sketches that don't necessarily mean much, but to an outsider, I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah. So are they are they archiving like? Is it primarily the, the finished product and the, the the kind of like the response? Well, this is the curious thing. I wonder whether or not do you just say that it's like this is the release that came out for like a physical game or do you say the game is ready to go when it, you give out your final patch of the game, you know, in the circumstances mm-hmm. of a newer game? You know, Hollow Knight from when it actually came out, one of the games that's been selected, is very different to what it is currently playable as. There's a lot of extra stuff that's been added in and it's curious as to where you kind of, pick and choose as to what is the archivable version of this particular game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like it almost doesn't doesn't really make a lot of sense to have like one definite sort of source of truth for any game or 
you know, the, the games industry as, as a whole. There's, there's no, like, not, nothing comes down to that, like, finished product. And so many of these games, like, you know, they're ongoing services and, you know, they're, they're constantly evolving and shifting with, with the community. So it doesn't make sense to just be like, all right, here's a game. Like, let's chuck it on a, on a screen and, and let it go. Mm. Like, it doesn't work like that. Um, so thanks for watching Pixel Sift, your indie gaming interview podcast live on Twitch. Now, if you've just tuned in, we're talking about, about the National Film and Sound Archives announcement to include Australian video games for the first time. Now, I'm quite interested in, does this mean they will also eventually have an archive of, of consoles as well to play all these games on? They must have some way to play them, yeah. Maybe mm. there'll be development kits or something to that effect. Or that'd be you know, exactly pretty cool. <laughs> Um, we did ask some people, and I'm curious to hear what um, you have to say, uh, Alex and Josh, um, about what some of the games that they'd like to see sort of included in this archive down the track because the National Film and Sound Archive said that it's going to be sort of an ongoing process after this initial batch. Um, but say, for example, Limbot on Discord said that um, Armello, um, as, as an Australian game, is an example of the rising trend and popularity of both board games and video games. And Limbot's also suggested Fruit Ninja um, that said it's no better example of commercial success in both popularity on both mobile and other fronts. Um, Caffeinate on Discord says probably something like maybe Florence or Untitled Goose Games. Florence is making into the list, first one uh, of those first eight. Uh, but the Untitled Goose Game that everyone has been talking about over the last you know, two weeks or so, um, saying that they're both accessible for all sorts of audiences. They don't use violence as a primary mechanic. Florence does a wordless storytelling through its game mechanics and Goose Game is a low-stakes player-driven comedy. They're both pretty new, but I don't know if I can think of many Australian games in the past five years that have really pushed the medium in a new direction. Um, I'd rather preserve unique stuff rather than some slight variant of a shooter or a platformer. What do you guys think? What are some suggestions of, of games you'd like to see included into, into the archive? Um, it can be Australian or otherwise. Yeah, yeah. For me, I think like if we're talking about archiving Australian games, I think to me... I'd like to see like some sort of Australian artifact be documented. So to me, I kind of go towards something like a paperback or a wayward strand. So a game developed in Australia, set in Australia, where it gives us a chance to kind of get an insight into how you go about that. Like, you know, designing for games set on Australian land, having indigenous characters, things like that. I think it would be really good to learn from that in the future. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'd want to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that that that's really really important. Um, and yeah, it's 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 bizarre. Like I sort of like look, looking through the you know lists of, of many many Australian games, and it, you know like there are so many. Um, but I think that was like what that really said for me is that like it's really sort of hard to like I wouldn't have identified any of like, like most of these games are strictly like Australian made games. Um, and I think that's you know like. You could, you could say a lot about that, how, you know, it's, like, representative of, you know, like a, you know predominant. Yeah, like, like apart from, like, Florence and um, uh, Paperbark, but there's so many games which are, like, very primarily, like, America-centric sort of development styles and, um, and themes. Um, yeah, and so, so many of you are actually set on, you know, within a strictly, like, Australian context or on Australian land. So that that yeah I, I agree with Josh it would be fantastic to to pick something which really does like represent something about you know Australian culture um yeah 
James on Discord has suggested one um, made by uh, Robot Circus called Ticket to Earth, which is an Australian-made game. And it's a great example, James says, to integrate diversity in national culture as part of an inherent part of the story, and not to mention that it has some kick-ass game mechanics and RPG uh, elements. And he says he's paid for it on multiple different platforms, iPhone, Android, and Windows cannot stop playing. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, so hopefully we'll start Um, to see more Australian games added to the list because games... We, we have a, so many good games coming out of Australia, but sometimes they're so difficult to know about, so this will hopefully be a good way to preserve them as well. Yeah. yeah. Having like a, like a, a, I don't know, even from like the last five, ten years, there's been like such a like shift in the sort of like indie mm. practice. Um, and I know like, all, like the whole world has got their eyes on like Australia, um, even, you know, like, like Melbourne is just like just pumping out really incredible stuff. I mean, it, like, like all of Australia is, but the last five years, there's like this big, big. It's been um, a bit of a surge. I yeah, think. such a surge. Yeah. And I think it would be cool to try and like document that, that catalog in a way. Um, I think that's, that's a little bit harder, um, but you almost want to like doc- document like the kind of cultural movement within games or try and summarize that. Seems like it's a perfect time to do it if now. Yeah, uh, yeah, to get it all collected. And now we've got kind of multiple sort of generations of game developers inside the Australian industry as well. You know, mm-hmm. people from the, you know, late 80s to the, to the 90s, the 2000s, and now the uh, 29, you know, 20, I don't know what the term is, 2011s onwards. Um, and um, I'll leave you with this one final one. So Andrew uh, on Twitter says, a game that I'd like to um, had, have added to the archive is one by Beam Software. It came out in 1983. It's called Way of the Exploding Fist. Um, and it came out on Commodore 64. He says those amazing backdrops and those glorious art, 8-bit artworks. 1983 is a little bit before my time, um, but I looked it up, and the first thing I found was like a guy in a like a kung fu pose um, fighting a cow. So <laughs> if that's not worthy of inclusion into the archive, I don't know what is. So. <laughs> well, we've talked all about the, the archive and different games that we want archive, but why don't we move on to the next topic and find out more about Two Point Interactive's new game, Heavenly Bodies. It's coming up in just a second. Mitch, what's Discord? Discord is an online chat service that most gamers use. Incidentally, you can also use it to talk to us at pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. Yeah, you can talk about uh, episodes, you can talk about upcoming topics, you can probably even coerce Mitch into playing a game with you online. That's not going to happen. That is going to happen. You're doing it. I'm saying that's happening. Sorry. Yeah, well... Join Discord. You should grow your beard back. pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. So this morning we're joined by Alexander Perrin and Josh Tatangelo about their latest game, Heavenly Bodies. So could you guys give us a summary of what your game is about? Yeah, absolutely. So um, what we have, it's, it's pretty hard to summarize, but I think I'll, I'll do my best. Um, you essentially use um, uh, dual-like analog joysticks to move the hands and arms and overall limbs of like floppy space cosmonauts to perform like a variety of space missions in zero G. Um, so you've got almost like a, like a puppet, like kind of marionette, like control scheme, um, which you can use the triggers and the, and the joysticks and little bumpers to move each limb independently. Um, so it's this sort of awkward, like highly, you know, um, highly detailed sort of movement scheme uh, in which you use to, Perform like missions in outer space, like uh, varying from like telescope assembly to you know weightless botany and and, and a bunch of different things. Um, yeah, 
It kind of feels um, a little bit inspired by some of these like really physics heavy games, something like Gang Beasts, for example, um, and anything like that. Was that sort of the inspiration behind it, kind of playing with the fun of physics of space? Um, yeah, like initially, I think it, it all just came out of the, the idea for the mechanic, like the control scheme. So I think when we when we came up with it, we hadn't even played anything like, you know, like Human Fall Flat wasn't out yet. Um, hadn't played Gang Beast. Like it's it's strange. There's a lot of similarities, but it sort of came from somewhere else. Um, but uh, yeah, now now that we've played those other games, definitely, I think that's probably a fair comparison. A lot of people have said, you know, like. On the more difficult end, it's like a quap, but then it's sort of as, as accessible as Human Fall Flat or Gang Beasts, where you sort of, you pick it up, you have a look at it, and you can kind of get a read of what's going on. It's just, it takes a bit of time to get that dexterity up. Yeah. It's like a, like a Gang Beasts and like a, or like an Octodad. Um, a lot of people use that. Yeah. Um, now, like, looking, yeah. looking at the, the game, it looks like it will take a while to learn the controls and figure out how to move your character was it creating hey uh was it hard creating the the physics to be like that yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's it was it's, it's quite a i think it's been like a really positive driver for the development of the game um and like really keeps us interest, interested as like like the question was to begin with like how do we make a control scheme which fits a joystick which allows you to move like literally all, all the limbs of of a character independently but in like a relatively accessible like actually you know practical way um and so it was like so much iteration um yeah. trying to figure out how to how to actually make this work we you know designed many different sort of methods for for moving the arms around but ultimately what, what, what we have now like we're really really happy with it and like it just it feels amazing um, and you just like you can't put it down. Um, well, I know I can't. We just love it. <laughs> We're probably a bit biased there, but yeah. Yeah, we we enjoy playing it. So. That obviously is a good point to start with. Is it yeah. a game that you? Is it a single player game? Because it's you've got two characters that you kind of move around in there. Um, yeah. How does it? How does it work across the one controller? Oh, so at at the moment, like it it is entirely single player. So all all the scenarios, all the missions, it can all be done with one person. There's no need for local co op. But we've just found that, you know, through exhibiting it, through testing it, the ability to just sort of tag in a friend at any time, it adds this extra layer of like, it goes from being quite serious and routine in single player to all of a sudden it's just chaos when two people are in there. And it feels, it's almost like it changes genre. It turns from like a like a really stoic sort of... Yeah, like a stoic space simulator into this goofy kind of physics-driven thing where nobody's even trying to do the objective. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so to clarify, like it is it is both a single-player game and and or local multiplayer. Yeah. Um, but I think we're trying to design it for it to be, you know, really, really fun as a single-player experience. Um, and like it makes it more accessible. People can just, like, not everyone has someone to play with. Um, but if you want to, like, sub in a friend, uh, that opens up, like, a whole new you know, uh, just range of methods to, to approach your mission and, and get things done. Yeah. Oh, and to answer, sorry, what you were saying about the controller. So when two people are playing, you have a controller each. Um, but if you want, you can have one character, one controller, and you each hold like half of it if you really want to. Oh. But it's pretty uncommon that people <laughs> try that. That sounds like a good PAX floor challenge, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've, we've had people try to play it like... Um, first one to win it kind of thing. You're meant to be working together, but we've had people like speed run it and try to beat each other. So all these like 
these nice little emergent things have come out of just having two characters in the scene. Like people just set their own rules, which is really nice to see. Mm-hmm. I feel like if I played it with my friends, they would purposely chuck me out into the deep space forever. <laughs> yeah. It, it does happen quite a bit. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like people love to be nasty. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, we want, want to try and like encourage like a bit of like playfulness um, without too much repercussion yeah. and consequence. Yeah. Well, thanks for watching Pixel Sift. If you're just joining us on one of our live platforms, we're talking with Alexander Perrin and Josh Tatangelo about their game Heavenly Bodies. So what styled the vision for the art style of this game? Oh, uh, <laughs> kind of a lot of things. Every Everything sort of was coming together at different stages. So first it was mechanics and there was no real uh, concern about the art style. And I think what really shifted the direction was just referencing back to um just like 60s yeah if you want to grab it just like 60s technical illustration and sort of like lithographic printing and space memorabilia that was coming out um and then something that really kind of just sealed the deal was this book that um Alex gave me for my birthday so it's a it's a book about soviet space dogs and it's basically just like it's a whole collection of old like posters and stamps and things like that. And it sort of just stemmed from this idea of like, what if we could have a game running in real time that captures that kind of essence of that imagery? Kind of the um, look of a propaganda poster, but in a game almost. Yeah, without the propaganda. <laughs> <on the other. laughs> yeah. But yeah, just that very like bold, gritty sort of like two, three tone max kind of look. So started playing with, you know, some R&D into shader development, plugging that back into the mechanics we had. And it just sort of like, it naturally started fitting together. And I think based off our sort of tastes outside of the game, it all just fits. Like we're, we're a bit nerdy and technical and a bit, a bit. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was just, it was kind of just like the perfect excuse to pull all these things together. Um, and so far it seems to be, yeah, it's, I think we're pretty happy with it, but there's still a little bit refined, a bit more refinement and development we want to do. But, um, yeah, yeah, that was the seed of it, really. Do you hope that um, people will take screenshots of it and do some, like, in-game artworks with, with the way that you've set up the game to look? Maybe recreate some of those posters, perhaps? That would be cool. Yeah, I hadn't <laughs> even thought of that. That'd be great, yeah. Um, uh, I think, yeah, like, the, there's, like, a little, like, um, uh, sort of, like a manhole kind of thing. What do you call it? Like a just a, like a window yeah, on one side of the the, the space station, and like, like from there we want to have this you know beautiful vista that sort of opens up. It's kind of it's like it's a very cinematic, um, like it's like it's in, like an inherently cinematic game. Um, so I think there's, there's plenty of room for that. Um, what are, what are some of the challenges? I guess there's only just the two of you in two point. What are the challenges of working in a small team, balancing workloads and things like that? How does how does it all work? Uh well, yeah, I think like the the hardest thing might just be managing expectation really. Like there's a there's a lot of stuff we want to do and a lot of ideas that we have, but then it essentially just it has to get broken down between the two of us. So it's usually we design together and then the division usually comes in when it comes to programming and visual development. Um but I don't know, I think like major difficulties I mean, at the moment, it's just like even like dealing with the 
the hugely positive response that we've had to it. So like, you know, like we're showing it at PAX, we're like, we're showing it, like we showed it in Cologne recently at Gamescom and like, it's been so good and we've had such a fantastic response, but it means that like, you know, more than half the time is just like spent answering emails and, and organizing, you know, booths and, and all sorts of things. So like, like we really just want to be making the thing. Um, is it but, a big expectation on just two people though? Is that the other side of it? Uh, yeah, probably. I think it, it is a big thing to kind of live, live up to. And I think we personally put pretty high, like, pretty high expectations. Expect- it, like, we, we want to make a good game. Sit in making something that is mediocre or falls flat. So I think, um, yeah, we just try to pace it out, I think, is, is the way to deal with it. Not trying to tackle everything at once, just just doing what we can and making sure we do it properly. And if it means it takes a little bit longer, then we have to just accept that, yeah. thing, which is hard. But yeah, it's part of the process. Yeah. Now, just to finish up, uh, what do you hope this game will mean for players? Hmm. That's a really good question. <laughs> yeah. I think it's... Uh, for me, the most exciting thing is the ability to like uh, carry across, or like like give give players this like really really beautiful feeling of tactility through the use of a joystick. Um, so we had like yeah, I think that uh, a player at Gamescom, um, uh, a father who came along and, and, and gave it a go. The first time he like used the crowbar to open up the door, and he felt like the crowbar snap. <laughs> And like he, like his face just like lit up, and he was like, "I've never used a joystick before," and that was just like a, a, like a life changing experience mm. to be able to feel the weight of the arm pulling the crowbar and opening up this door. Um, felt just incredible, and, and that was that was a really exciting moment for for me in particular. Yeah, yeah, I think I think my answer is similar. I just I just want to see people enjoying that kind of really primitive like second to second interaction with the game. I want them to just. Like whether they play it for 10 seconds or 10 hours, I, I want to see that they're sort of enjoying this, this mechanic and the feeling of, you know, being a really competent astronaut or a really poor one. Like it doesn't really matter as long as they're kind of having fun along the way. And I think we've, yeah, we've had a bit of an insight into that by showing it at, at exhibition. So for me, that feels pretty good seeing that. Yeah. Well, if you're keen to check out Heavenly Bodies, you can find it on their website, which is twopoint.com.au, but that is spelled twopt.com.au. And then their Twitter handle is at 2PT Studio. And then you can also wishlist it on Steam right now, which I will definitely go and do because I would love to play this game. It looks like so much fun. <laughs> Thank you. And you t- are you taking us to PAX next week as well? Yes. Yes, we are. So we're in the PAX Rising. Um, area arena, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thirty nine, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. We can't wait. Um, should be great. Yeah, come have a play if you're there. Well, that's just about all we have time for today. Thank you, Alexander and Joshua, for joining us this morning and telling us all about heavenly bodies. Pleasure. No thank Thanks you for having us. And thank you for joining us on episode 132 of Pixel Sift. This episode has been hosted by myself and Gianni. Thanks for joining me tonight. Well, this morning, actually, Gianni. It's confusing it's, doing it, it in the morning. It could be time, Fiona. It could be morning. It could be daytime. Who knows when it is? Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> so Pixel Sift is produced by Scott Quigg, Sarah Island, myself, Mitch Lowe, and Gianni Di Giovanni is our executive producer. 
And we wouldn't have been able to make 132 episodes if we didn't have the support of Murdoch University. So you can go and check them out and tell them that we sent you. You can go to murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts and check out all the information about how you can learn and get involved with a creative degree. Now, as always, we'll be sticking the links to our topics in the show at the bottom Sorry, I lost complete train of thought. As always, we'll be sticking links to the topics we talked about in the notes on our website, and that's at www.pixelsif.com.au. And if you'd like to, you can come join us on Discord. We'd love to have you there. That's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord, where we'd love to see people's creative work. So if you're making something interesting, maybe it's a game, maybe it's artwork, maybe you're writing something, you can talk about topics that are on the shows and also games and anything else. And that's where you can get your two cents in for all of our podcast discussions as well and if you like what we do please tell a friend because we don't pay to advertise and we rely on word of mouth for people to find the show and now normally next week we would have a pixel sift plays but next thursday majority of the team is flying over to melbourne for pax australia so instead you can keep your eye out on twitter facebook all our social medias and platforms and we'll be posting lots of content and interviews with indie game developers as part of our pixel sift series but Gianni, unfortunately, you won't be us be with us this year. Don't remind me, Fiona. Don't remind me. <laughs> but you'll catch the rest of us there. So if you're around, come come say hello. We'd love to chat with you and find out more. But that's all for this week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Alex and Josh. Thank you. Thank you. Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 